0: Um, Last week, I missed you all. Um, I was not here, I was speaking at another church, but Sarah stepped in and was uh, just phenomenal from everything I've heard in leading us through the story of Acts 3 and 4, and engaging uh, as a community in ways of hearing Scripture, Interiorizing it, taking it seriously, and then seeing what it has to say to us, and so really grateful for that approach. That is going to be an approach that we'll see playing out in family ministry every week. But I would love to see it continue to play out in this environment as well. And so we'll kind of riff on that a little bit here today, rather than a scripture reading, which we typically have at the beginning of the sermon. I'm just going to uh, engage in several scriptures as we go and really tell the story of the Book of Acts at a very high level here in uh, the. Remainder of our time together. So, I want to begin by locating us on where we are in the story. We've spent the last year on this idea of a big enough story, starting in Genesis 1, and now we are down to our final four weeks in this. Uh, We've got four weeks remaining looking at all of the chapters of the big enough story, and, and right now we're sitting with the idea of the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which deeply transforms our inner lives. And then enables us to show up deeply empowered in our outer lives, the way we show up in the world for the sake of others. And almost a year ago, when we looked at how the story began in Genesis 1, um, we, we started with this idea of God's overflowing love shaping the world. And we continue to see the pouring out of God's overflowing love through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we've looked at the beginning of the story, in uh just a few weeks really starting next week we're going to begin looking at the end of the story we'll start jumping toward revelation toward the end of scripture today one last time i want to sit in the middle of those two things i want to learn from the early church how they made sense of their part of the story in act five how do we work with jesus toward the end that jesus intends for god's good world Uh, like the early church we live between two ages We live between the times. At Easter, Jesus inaugurated his kingdom. Uh, He he set into motion the collision of a new kingdom that is healing the world, renewing and reconciling all things. And then we know Jesus will come again. And at his second coming, Jesus will fulfill his kingdom. But right now, we live in the middle of those times. We live between those times, where God's reign and restoration has already begun colliding and spreading in our world, but his rule and his will has not yet come in full. And so we see, then, some of the now of Jesus' kingdom, and we see some of the not yet. And this helps us make sense of things. It's an important theological category. Uh, Theologically, this is called inaugurated eschatology for you theological uh, geeks out there. Um, But practically, it's really important because we see this, we sense it in our bones. We see sometimes I, I, I pray and I experience God moving in powerful ways and then other times it's like, gosh, it doesn't feel like I've experienced the fullness of this, right? And so to have a category for the now and the not yet helps us make sense of where we are but it also gives us practical guidance for our role in god's story because it is precisely in between these two times that the church of jesus has a role to play in fact if you really think about it it's the only place that the church has a role to play the church could not exist before jesus first coming and the church will uh, just be swept up in, in, in all of what God is doing uh, when, when Jesus comes again. And so our part to play is precisely sandwiched between these two ages. And, and our role is this, that we anticipate God's future. We get a sense, we get the first glimpse. What is God wanting to do in the world? How is God wanting to reconcile and renew the world? We, we get a glimpse of that, we anticipate it, and then we, get to part, we begin to participate in that. Right knowing how God is wanting to heal the world we become healing people we begin becoming renewing people reconciling people we bear witness with our own changed lives to how God will ultimately change all things and so we're starting to point like signposts through our very lives into God's future and little by little we spread Jesus kingdom way in the world as he moves this story toward fulfillment Jesus is going to superintend creation all the way to the telos God has intended. We get to play a part in that, and that's an incredible gift. And so that's what we're sitting with right now. How does Jesus uh, allow us to cooperate, to be part of his co mission uh, of the healing of the world? And for three years, uh, Jesus kept his followers close. You know, there was a season where I would mow the lawn, and my son, when he was young, had this little toy lawn mower and he would just travel behind me. You know, so I'm like mowing the lawn, and he thinks he's mowing the lawn. It feels like Jesus did that with his disciples for the first three years. You know, like he brought them into stuff for sure, right? But for the most part, he's doing the heavy lifting, and they're observing. Um, but then, all of a sudden, toward the end of his ministry, he changes course. And he changes his tune, and he changes his language, and he says some things. Let's look at some of what he said starting in John twenty twenty one, He turns to his disciples and says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then in Matthew 28, we know this is the Great Commission. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this. I'll be with you as you do this, Jesus says. Day after day after day, right up to the end of this age, right? There will be another age to come. And then in Acts chapter 1, we already looked at this in prayers of the people, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. I want you, Jesus says, to be faithfully present in ordinary but powerful ways, in ordinary but powerful ways, in the midst of your daily life, wherever you may find yourself, let my power be on display through you. And that power is going to move through the world, Jesus says, in these ever-expanding circles of redemptive influence, right? What, What God's doing is going to keep spreading. It's going to keep enlarging in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, the ends of the whole known world. But it's Samaria that jumps off the page. And Beth alluded to this in the prayers of the people. Samaria jumps off the page because, you know, Jerusalem and Judea, these are the people who are like me. These are the people I like. These are the people who I understand. And the ends of the earth, that's, that's exciting, right? That's exotic. That's heroic. We can get excited about the ends of the earth. But Samaria. <laughs> the Samaritans were hated. Hated. And, and you know what? They hated right back, right? These people did not like one another. They were the least like Jesus' followers, and the least liked by Jesus' followers, right? You see this in the disciples, the way that they related to the Samaritans. And I want you to notice something begins to move, a trajectory begins to shift in Scripture. Uh, If we rewind to Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to his followers these instructions, "'Go nowhere among the Gentiles "'and enter no town of the Samaritans, "'but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.'" And as you go, proclaim the good news, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he sends them out, but just a little bit, right? And specifically says, do not go to the Samaritans. But now on the other side of Pentecost, now that they are empowered with an indwelling Holy Spirit, the shift begins, right? And not long after this, someone comes to Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, I get it. I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who really is my neighbor, right? And Jesus answers, as he always does, by way of telling a story. And the story is the story of the good Samaritan, right? And so Jesus frames it that it is not the priest, it is not the pastor, it is that Samaritan who shows mercy on the one who was in need. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go. Go and be like that Samaritan. And this is mind-blowing stuff. This is category-shifting stuff, right? And soon enough, while you're at it, not only go and be like that Samaritan, go to Samaria. Go to the Samaritans. Go to the ones who make your blood boil. Go to the ones who are least like you. Go to the ones who watch the other news channel. Go to the ones you can't relate to. Go to the ones whose culture and background and passions and shortcomings are nothing like yours. Go to the ones who sin differently than you do. Go to those who can't see God's invitation, including them. The ones you can't see God's invitation including. Go to them and show mercy. By the time we get to Acts 1, we see Jesus sending out his followers, and Jesus keeps on sending out his followers. Like the time in Acts 4 that Sarah talked about last week, where Peter and John are sent to a poor man who is struggling with this lifelong disability. Or in the next chapter, Acts 5, when they find themselves suddenly brought in front of the political, the religious, the civic leaders of their day, and they are suddenly in the opportunity to bear witness in simple but powerful ways. Or in the next chapter, Acts 6, where some of them are sent by Jesus to serve behind the scenes in unglamorous, invisible ways, waiting on tables, cleaning up dishes, but sent nonetheless by Jesus. Or the next chapter, Acts 7, when Stephen is sent into death and danger and his last words bear witness to the way of Jesus. I mean, literally, he he gives up his spirit and says, Father, forgive them. Like, this is a man who's gotten Jesus into him. And standing in the corner is this young, angry leader named Saul, who at the time cannot hear the words of Stephen. In fact, we read that he, along with the crowd, covers up his ears so as to not hear but in time, those ears are going to get opened. I mean, sometimes we, we bear witness, we say things, and it, and it doesn't make an impact yet. The next chapter, Acts 8, Philip is surprised to have been sent to keep company with the Ethiopian eunuch, a black, politically powerful, sexual minority in the day. And per Philip's own tradition, this man should have been excluded from temple worship in two separate ways, but there is Philip sent to share a long road trip with him sent to share the good news of redemption with him. Jesus keeps on sending out his followers. In the next chapter, Acts 9, we meet this otherwise obscure man named Ananias. It's not Ananias and Savira. That, that guy didn't make it in the story very long. This is a different Ananias. And we've never heard from him before and we'll never hear from him again after this. But he plays one of the most pivotal roles in Christian history because Jesus sends him to Saul. Saul who has just killed one of his friends, Stephen. And I want us to imagine that. Jesus saying, go to the one who just killed your friend. And Ananias says, no. <laughs> but then he says, yes. And he says, brother Saul, brother Saul, like you just killed my friend, I call you brother. Do you get this? Brother Saul, it's just sentences later that Peter is sent to stay with a tanner who would have by virtue of his work been defiled religiously over and over and over again he's not going to be included in in this way according to the tradition that peter had and we see peter not long after that then led even further to a roman centuri- centurion's home and he begins to protest against god right no i'm not gonna eat of these unclean things i'm not gonna participate in these unclean ways and god says guess what i'm doing something new and it's getting bigger and I'm inviting more and more people into it, right? And all of those that Peter is convinced cannot belong, cannot be included in this good news. Those ones who don't possibly fit in what God is doing, Jesus sends his followers to those ones too. And so you get the point, right? Every single chapter of the book of Acts is an increase in the pattern of Jesus' followers finding themselves in ordinary places and paying attention to where God is working redemption right there. And they simply walk around just pointing out God, right? They're not having to do any magic tricks. Sometimes they do that too. Uh, Sometimes they work miracles too. But often it's just the pointing out of God in ordinary life situations and inviting others into what God is doing. Jesus sends his church in Acts, and I think Jesus sends his church today, into places of relational pain, political division, cultural difference, theological disagreement. Not to sweep all those things under the rug, not to act as if every way of being in the world is equal, but instead he sends them to show up there, and the posture he asks them to go in is a posture of peace. He says... Peace, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, not with a posture of debate or argument, with a posture of humble service, not a posture of agenda or conquest. And the big story continues. And it continues throughout the rest of the New Testament. With each page, Jesus keeps on sending his followers out. And soon enough, they'll go to Rome and to Corinth and to Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica and Crete and Patmos and Europe and Asia and America and Atlanta and Alpharetta. Jesus keeps on sending his followers. And so I want to just invite us as we close to sit with this for a minute. Uh, just go ahead and just pay attention to your own heart. And this is one of the areas that I think for me as a pastor I'm least comfortable with in following Jesus. I know how to show up to y'all. I know my way around the inside of the church. I don't always know what to do with my neighbors or with others who do not yet see themselves as caught up in this big story? How do we bear witness to God's power in authentic and organic ways? How, when that has been done so often in ways that make us cringe, do we say we're going to stay with this but we're gonna practice it a little bit better? So I'll invite you to just spend a minute, talk with Jesus, who is he sending you to, and how might you respond? Holy Spirit, would you highlight for us how you are sending us into the world and how we can go a little bit more with the posture that you were sent with, that your big story may spread until you've healed and renewed and reconciled this world. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, amen.